Well, greetings in the Master's name. You can turn to Ephesians 4. And again, looking at the uh, first 16 verses. And if you remember, this kind of what stimulated this uh, or turned my thoughts in this direction was, well, it's been uh, probably close to a year ago. When Maybe it was in the summer, last summer, when uh, we met before we started having services here and Brother Joe asked what kind of church do we want to have here and I had been thinking about this uh, or had recently read this uh, passage perhaps and so that's where my mind went. Now this is the third sermon on this passage but um, uh, there's, a, um, there's an eight volume commentary on the book of Ephesians by Martin Lloyd-Jones and I don't have it uh, but one volume of the eight is on Ephesians 4, 1 to 16. <laughs> so I'm sure I'm not exhausting it. But let's read these verses. Ephesians 4, 1 to 16. I therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, and by the way, I, that was an interesting uh, consideration too. Uh, you read this book, of course, not just the book of Ephesians, but the other epistles. And Paul writes this, and he's in prison. He's in a Roman prison. What kind of thoughts would you have if you were sitting in a Roman prison? This came out of a Roman prison. I therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you that ye walk worthy of the vocation wherewith ye are called, with all lowliness and meekness, with longsuffering, forbearing one another in love, endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, even as ye are called in one hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism. One God and Father of all, who is above all and through all and in you all. But unto every one of us is given grace according to the measure of the gift of Christ. Wherefore he saith, when he ascended up on high, he led captivity captive and gave gifts unto men. Now that he ascended, what is it but that he also descended first into the lower parts of the earth? He that descended is the same also that ascended up far above all heavens, that he might fill all things. And he gave some apostles and some prophets, and some evangelists, and some pastors and teachers, for the perfecting of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ, till we all come in the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God unto a perfect man, unto the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, that we henceforth be no more children tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine by the slight of men and cunning craftiness whereby they lie and wait to deceive, but speaking the truth in love may grow up into him in all things, which is the head, even Christ, from whom the whole body fitly joined together and compacted by that which every joint supplies, according to the effectual working in the measure of every part, maketh increase of the body into the edifying of itself in love. And what I was especially thinking about for today was verse 16 about the reference to the body and how the body functions. And, and everything just fits together perfectly and how it can function. But the scripture isn't isolated. And so this, these verses, don't, they, they, they stand together as well as other passages. And um, well, uh, in, here the, in here the scriptures, okay, in verse 16, the scriptures compared, the church is compared to a body. Now, the, um, the, the church is compared to three things in scripture. It's compared to a bride. It's compared to a building, and it's compared to a body. 
And in this chapter, it's compared to, you see the references, the comparison or analogy to both the, the, uh, the building and the body. So that's interesting. I won't, I won't pursue that, but that, that's, uh, that's interesting analogies there. Now, uh, in verse 11, it says, He gave some apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors and teachers. And um, in one of the earlier messages, we had looked at, at, at the, um, the fact that we all, God has given us all something to contribute. And, and he's the one that's done it. It says in Corinthians, 1 Corinthians 12, he has set in the body. So there again is a reference to the body. But he has placed each of us according to his purposes. And if we can accept that, if we can accept that it's God's doings, that somebody else has a different talent than me, somebody else has a different function, somebody else has a different responsibility in the church, but God has placed it. And so that should take away, the, the, like the first, first few verses, it talks about lowliness and meekness and long-suffering and, and so on. And, uh, of course, 1 Corinthians, love, talks about not being envious and jealous and so on. If we can accept that God has done it, that God has put me where he wants me, I, I don't need to be jealous of somebody else. I don't need to be jealous of what they can do. Uh, I don't need to be bothered about what I can't do. Um, God, has, uh, God, has, God has done it. The gifts. Um, and God has given these gifts not so that we can focus on what we're, okay, I don't think it's so important to try to focus on what is my gift. But I think it's more important just to do what falls my lot to do and a function according to God's purpose for me. And it talks in the first verses there about walk worthy of our calling. And, lead, and further down here, it talks about our calling. And what are we called to? We're called to be conformed to the image of Christ. Uh, and it's, it's being. It's being. The Sermon on the Mount is, is, is about, it's not about doing at first. It's about being. And, and our doing comes out of our being. And so, but we're called to be a child of God. We're called to... We come into this world with a natural tendency to selfishness. That's part of the old nature. And we're called to die to that. We're called to rise to newness of life in Christ. We're called to the new birth. And, you know, Nicodemus said, well, how can that be, you know? And Jesus said, I'm not talking about natural things. I'm talking about spiritual things. And... Uh, and he told Nicodemus, he said, you can't see the wind, but you can see the effects of the wind. Now, if you've been outside the last day or two, you can see the effects of the wind. You can see the wind. And so, what does Christ look like? What does a Christ-like life look like? You can see it. You can see the effects of it. And that's what we're called to. We're called to be the image of Christ. And so... Uh, that the, the, the gifts, the gifts that we have. And another thing, I think I mentioned this, but it's, it's so important to me that everything that we've been given is not for our own 
is not to, um, well, I just say it. It's not just for my benefit. And the verse there that I think is a really powerful verse is 1 Peter 4.10, where it says, every, As every man has received the gift, even so minister the same one to another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. Everything that I've been given and everything you've been given is for the benefit of others. It's to benefit others. It's not, it's not for my own selfish purposes and interests. And if, if we could um, get a hold of that and practice that, that's powerful. That everything I've been given, I mean, we, we could think about it in a material way, uh, that the, the, the talents that people have and the abilities they have and so on, you know, it's just not to see how far they can get in the world and how much they can accumulate and how much power they can, they, and position and so on they can get. But it's really, it's really for their fellow man to build them up. But in the church, it's the same way. Whatever gifts they have, some people, some people have tremendous musical gifts. Um, some people have really organizational skills, um, but it's 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 not to make. It's not to show me. It's not to show off me. It's to bless other people, and I I know there's different. Um, um, this thing of of um, of of getting used to our, of realizing what our own cultural bubble is, and that other people do things other ways. I and I I have to um, I guess even work with myself on that. I've seen some music programs already where. You know, when, when we have a music program, pretty much we don't, we don't um, showcase the individual. And I've, I, I've seen some things already where it seems like the person leading the music or, or whatever the music program is, it seems like it's, it's more of a performance. And, and maybe it's just their way of doing it, you see. Maybe it's, maybe it's just different than our, our way. But be all that as it may, I'm saying it's still... Everything we've been given is not is not to to put me on a pedestal, but it's to minister and bless other people, and that has a lot to do with the uh, with the the church, the unity of the church, the beauty of the church, the church functioning the way it should. In verse twelve here, it says, "For the perfecting of the saints." And the Berkeley version says, to make the saints fit for the task of ministering toward the building up of the body of Christ. And it had a footnote that the word fit has to do with adjusting as a medical term is implied is when muscles and bones were dislocated. And I could not find that in any translation. I could not find that, that, that slant on this verse in any translation and I looked up the word in the Greek and it didn't have that but when I looked at the word that it came from and you have to be careful when you go down those trails because then you can start saying the word make whatever the word means whatever you want it to because you keep going back it came from this word it came from that word it came from the other word well the etymology of a word doesn't necessarily shows how you got to where you are but it doesn't necessarily mean that this word means exactly that but in the etymology of this word it did come from a word that's a medical term and so the Berkeley version was picking up on that. So here, for we, we, 
in the body we help each other, we adjust each other. It says like, as when muscles or bones are dislocated, and maybe more about that later. And so that verse in 1 Peter 4.10 about, about our gifts being for the benefit of the others, and that's why we might spend hours or maybe even days helping a brother or sister. It might be physical, it might be emotional, and we might spend a, a tremendous amount of time ministering to someone else and not expect any monetary return because we're simply helping our brothers and sisters. Um, and thinking about the body, I was thinking about the natural body and the spiritual body, the church, and the parallels there. And um, I had some things from the past that I had remembered. And so I want to read a little bit of that. And uh, just um, as comparison, how the body functions and what that maybe um, encourages us to think about how we should function as a spiritual body. Um, okay, this was actually this is this is a 20-year-old article. It was an interview from a interview of a. Um, Professor of Surgery at Yale University, he wrote a book called The Wisdom of the Body. And so it was a question and answer thing in U.S. News and World Report 20 years ago. But um, he says uh, this, like everybody else, the question that consumes me is, why are we the way we are? And he's talking about the physical body. I gradually realized that most people who have made great pronouncements on the human condition have done it blissfully, unaware of the basic equipment we bring to it, the human body. After 30 years of being a surgeon, I decided that the most basic thing that explains why we are the way we are is the human body, not so much its structure, but its functions. I've always been struck by how our organs respond to threats to their stability. And then the question was, you've seen that in the operating room. He says, yes, Marge Hansen, one of my patients, suffered a massive bleed. I did all these quasi-heroic things, but for about an hour she had no blood pressure. There shouldn't have been much blood getting to her brain, and she should have been in terrible shape, squashed, bingo. But once we found and repaired the source of the bleed, which was the rare rupture of the artery that supplies the spleen, she recovered beautifully with all her faculties intact, thanks to one of the body's last ditch emergency survival systems. And the question is, what was it? We have sensing devices in our arteries that are always sending messages to the brain. The blood pressure is normal. But when the pressure drops, the number of messages decreases, sending off an alarm, and the, brain make, and the brain makes the arteries squeeze down so that the entire blood supply is shut off except to the heart and the brain. The little bit of blood you have is being sent to these two small structures that you can't survive without. Not only that, but the brain tells the heart to speed up so the smaller amount of blood is doing much more work. It's an absolutely amazing thing, and this coordination works even at the level of individual cells. You've got 75 trillion cells, and a lot of those cells are reproducing while we're talking. They're replacing their DNA, huge long strands of millions of bunches of little sub-molecules called nucleotides. It can't happen perfectly. There are mistakes. So cruising up and down the DNA molecule are a bunch of patrol boats, DNA repair enzymes. They see an error, and they grab it, snip it out, and fix it. While we've been talking, that has probably happened a few thousand times in each of us. I hate to use cliches, but that really does boggle the mind. And this sophisticated coordination happens at the molecular level, the organ level. The whole body is a unity. And the purpose of this unity is to keep us alive. And so I want you to think about the comparison and not think so much about DNA and the patrol boats and all that. Um, 
I think we have an awareness of what's going on inside us, the steadiness of the heartbeat, the blood streaming through the veins. Something inside us understands the importance of unity and harmony. Each cell lives on a knife edge between chaos and order. Chaos means death. Order means continued life. I think you can pick up the parallels to the body of Christ, the church. In our culture, we use these metaphors, good versus bad, life against death. We human beings are somehow aware of that closeness of death, disaster, chaos, and we're also aware that the answer to survival is to make symmetry, harmony. I find it enormously reassuring. Well, let me just tell you what he said about uh, about uh, this uh, Margaret Hansen things. Uh, he said, by all rights, my patient Margaret Hansen should have died, but she lived. She remembers thinking in her last conscious moment that she didn't want to leave. She wasn't ready to die. Her body marshaled its forces to save her, and maybe she lived because of my instinct for survival in which I said, I will not let her die. And every endorphin and every serotonin and every adrenaline molecule that was available to me poured into my bloodstream so I could think more clearly. I could be so decisive that everyone in that room immediately marshaled themselves to help me, to work quickly to find the source of the bleeding and stop it before it was too late, then work hours more to repair the aneurysm. Even the blood bank technicians were rushing upstairs hand-carrying the blood. Everybody became a part of this effort. And I know why it happened. There's something about taking command and transmitting this energy to everybody that makes them just pour out effort. That's what happened that day. All of us in the operating room called on a force within ourselves that even now I don't understand. I don't know what it was, and I don't want to be a New Age prophet. I'm not. Well, so much for that. But how they were all working together at their utmost to save this life. Now, do we do that in the church? Uh, talking about the body's tenacity. I find it enormously reassuring. The human body is going to serve you very well for six, seven, maybe eight decades. And I'll tell you something else that's reassuring. Toward the end of your life, your body is giving you signals, something very, sometimes very recognizable signals that the time has come to recognize that nature is one and you must go with nature. Recognizing this gives you the most emotional comfort. It allows you to die the way people used to die 75 and 80 years ago, surrounded by those they loved. I find that very comforting. Well, that's just a little extra. I had I kind of thought about that because we went to a funeral yesterday. And, and, um, and then I thought, you know, when my dad uh, was coming to his end, uh, it was like a week or two before he died. He said, he just blurted out one time, he said, I'm dying. He said, I mean it, I'm dying. And I didn't tell him, no, you're not, because he was. But he had that awareness. And, uh, well, anyway, the body, the way the body functions, be that as it may. Um, but I think there's parallels there that are, that, that um, we do well to take note of. <clears throat> I want to read some of these verses from another translation, uh, Williams' translation. It's an older one. Verses 11 through 16. And he has given some men to be apostles, some to be prophets, some to be evangelists, some to be pastors and teachers for the immediate equipment of God's people for the work of service, for the ultimate building up of the body of Christ until we all attain to unity and faith and to perfect knowledge of the Son of God, namely to a mature manhood and to a perfect measure of Christ's moral stature. I just stopped there. I got a comment on that. Our goal is to help each other to attain to, a, to the measure of the stature of Christ. 
And, I, you know, when we evaluate ourselves, you know, in the church we can look at somebody and say, well, I think I'm further along than he is. Um, our measuring stick is Christ. I remember Irvin Hirschberg, it just comes to mind right now, that was decades ago. He had a service at Brushy Run when we were in West Virginia. And he drew on the blackboard, you know, where do you think you are spiritually? Maybe you're here, maybe somebody else is down here, maybe somebody else is up here. And then he drew a line way up here and he said, that's Christ. He said, it doesn't matter whether somebody's a little above you or a little below you. He said, you're supposed to be comparing yourself to Christ. So, for the ultimate, the, God has given these gifts for the ultimate building up of the body of Christ that we might come to a mature manhood and to a perfect measure of Christ's moral stature so that we may not be babies any longer or like sailors tossed about and driven around by every wind of doctrine by the trickery of men through their cunning and inventing new methods of error. But on the other hand, we shall go on holding to the truth and in love growing up into perfect union with him, that is Christ himself who is the head, for it is under his direction that the whole body is perfectly adjusted and united by every joint that furnishes its supplies. And by the proper functioning of each particular part, there is brought about the growing of the body for its building up in love. That, 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 that's, that's loaded. The, um, in verse 13, it talks about unity. And uh, verses 1 to 7 talk about some of, the, some of what's necessary for unity, particularly verses 1 to 3 when it talks about lowliness and meekness and long-suffering and forbearance and endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. And that's um, the, um, I forget where I got this, uh, the unity of the Spirit should be understood as unity which the Spirit makes possible by His gift and activity. The church's task which requires diligence is to guard that oneness already imparted by the Spirit and implied in there being one body of Christ. The means by which the unity is preserved is stated. It is made fast by the bond which God's peace in Christ's reconciliation has established. It says because of what Christ has done for each of us. And that, that produces the unity. When, we're, when we all are thrilled with our redemption in Christ, and so it says the Spirit has already produced the unity and it's our job to keep it. It doesn't say that we're supposed to produce the unity. It says we have it in Christ as we think about what he's done for us. But it says endeavoring to keep the unity and the bond of peace and that the, the word that was used there or the, or the illusion there, the bond of peace, I read one place was kind of like uh, these, uh, these metal bands that used to go around barrels. Uh, well, I guess they still do. We don't use barrels, but the metal band. You know, a, a barrel is just a bunch of sticks of wood that are put together in such a way, and then you have, the, they have those metal bands around them, and it makes a very useful, I mean, they, they, were, they were the containers on the container ships of a bygone era, how they stacked all those barrels up on, this, on the sail ships, on the, uh, uh, the, uh, Sail, what sailboats? I guess you'd call them. Uh, but so, so, so the bond of peace. That's what makes unity. 
uh, and uh, Barnes' commentary said, it is not mere external unity, it is not a mere unity of creed, it is not mere unity in the forms of public worship. It is such as the Holy Spirit produces in the hearts of Christians when he fills them all with the same love and joy and peace and believing. And um, I could read some other passages um, about, well, maybe I will just a little bit here. It says, Till we all come in the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God. That knowledge of the Son of God. The first, the first chapter of Ephesians, Paul prays for him. He says, After I heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and love unto all the saints, cease not to give thanks for you, making mention of you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory. Now this is the knowledge he wants them to have. may give unto you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him, the eyes of your understanding being enlightened, that you may know what is the hope of his calling, what the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints, what is the exceeding greatness of his power to us who believe, according to the working of his mighty power, which he wrought in Christ when he raised him from the dead, and set him at his own right hand in the heavenly places, far above all principality and power and might and dominion, and every name that is named, not only in this world, but also in that which is to come, and put all things under his feet, and gave him to be the head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him that filleth all in all. But he says, he prays for them that they may be aware of the hope that they have, the riches of their inheritance, the greatness of his power that's based on the power of the resurrection. And so that that knowledge of what we have in Christ Jesus and we all have that brings us together well back to um, verse 15 it says speaking the truth and love may grow up into him in all things which is the head even Christ growing up unto him it's an intimate vibrant full union with Christ um, growing up into him, we've already talked about the measure of the fullness of Christ. And <clears throat> I didn't think about it when I was first studying this, but it just uh, just looking at it here, actually, actually this morning, um, I had to think about the opposite of that is verses 17 to 20, 32. The rest of the chapter shows what is the opposite of the knowledge of Christ. It talks about people being darkened, their understanding being darkened, and then the behavior that comes out of that. Um, so that's the other side of it, and we're not doing that this morning. <clears throat> a couple other uh, translations of Ephesians 4.16. From whom the whole body, joined and knit together by what every joint supplies, according to the effective working by which every part does its share, causes growth of the body for the edifying of itself in love. Um, another one. For from him the whole body, closely joined and knit together by the contact of every part with the source of its life, derives its power to grow in proportion to the vigor of each individual part, and so is being built up in a spirit of love. And the the analogy here to the body is a very powerful analogy. And I just uh, want to um, read something from a high school biology textbook. 
And it just, it talks just a little bit about some of the wonders of the body. The foot. It says the foot is the humblest member of man's anatomy. The human foot with its five toes is a miracle of construction. It consists of 26 separate bones of various sizes and shapes bound together by a system of ligaments. It is supported by a complex array of muscles and supplied with a network of fibers and blood vessels. Now, the illustration here is how the foot is constructed so that all these pieces work together that it can function in such a marvelous way. And the analogy is, see, that's the way the body of Christ is to function. The different bones articulate in gliding joints, giving the foot a degree of elasticity and a limited amount of motion. The arrangement of the bones is such as to form several arches, the most important of these being the long arch from the heel to the ball of the foot. The arches are held in place and supported by a complex of strong muscles to carry the weight of the body just as the steel cables carry the load of a suspension bridge. The construction also gives elasticity to the foot, making walking and running and other movements possible. The ability to walk and to move from place to place and to balance the tall upright body on a comparatively small pedestal is itself a most remarkable feature of the human body. If the foot were flat and rigid, fixed at right angles to the bone of the leg, walking would be difficult or impossible. The elastic arches also serve as shock absorbers to soften the jar resulting from walking on a hard surface. The human foot is a masterpiece of engineering. It is a miniature suspension bridge, but more complicated than an ordinary bridge. But these parts, the, the bones, the ligaments, the tendons, and you see here in verse 16, it says, from whom the whole body fitly joined together and compacted by that which every joint supplies according to the effectual working in the measure of every part. It talks about being compactly fitted and joined together. And uh, I, I looked up the uh, human body in the, in the World Book Encyclopedia and, uh, and it had a picture and you can't see it. You can't see it very good from here. But it had a picture, and it has it labels the muscles, the ligaments, the tendons. And so you've got all these bones, and it's you've got all these tendons and ligaments and stuff wrapped around here. Uh, the caption says ligaments and tendons consist of tough elast elastic connective tissue. Ligaments connect one bone to another. They hold the bones in place, but still allow some movement. Tendons connect a muscle to a bone. When the muscle contracts, a strong cable-like tendon pulls the bone to which it is attached. The large Achilles tendon links the calf muscle to the heel bone. But Ephesians 4.16, that's, that's the illusion. The, 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 part, the, the body of Christ, all the parts compactly fitted together to function, supposed to function marvelously. Um, Maybe I'll just read a wee bit more here. The human hand. Like the foot, so also the hand consists of a bony framework, muscles, tendons, fats, and nerve fibers. There are a total of 27 individual bones in the hand. Eight of these are in the wrist, five in the palm, and 14 in the fingers. The hand is so constructed that it lends itself to an unlimited variety of functions. But every act of the hand sets in motion a whole series of operations of the human mechanism. 
For example, to close the fist or make a simple grasping motion involves an array of muscles, joints, and tendons, all the way from the shoulder to the fingertips. Doing such a simple thing as lifting a spoonful of soup to one's mouth involves more than 30 joints and 50 muscles, all of them functioning together in perfectly synchronized order. And maybe uh, I think they had sort of a summary of the body. The human body consists of thousands of individual parts, large, small, and microscopic, but all are so joined together that they function as a perfect synchronized organism. The human body consists of billions and trillions of individual cells, and every cell is a distinct unit that functions in perfect harmony with every other cell. I, I just find that an extremely powerful analogy to how the body of Christ is supposed to function. And um, the um, I won't take time to read them all, but um, even uh, Clark's commentary that was published in 1831, he made reference to anatomy. Uh, Barnes' com comments that was also published in the 1830s, he made reference to it, and he and he referenced Paley's uh, natural theology, and so they were seeing that comparison. Maybe one more. Um, uh, translation of this verse out of whom the entire body is harmoniously fitted together and closely united by every contributing ligament with proportionate power for each single part to effect the development of the body for its upbuilding and love that's that's a translation of Ephesians 4:16, talking about the body of Christ every part functioning together and that's that's sort of the um, the capstone uh, verses 1 to 16, what they lead up to. If, if, if we have the attitudes that of lowliness and meekness and long-suffering and forbearing, we work hard at keeping the unity of the Spirit. We, we are focused on what we, we are in Christ. We realize that all the gifts we've been given are for the benefit of others, and we're to build each other up. You have the body here, you have an edifice. An edifice, edify, scripture talks about edifying. An edifice, edifice is the building, edify is building each other up. And that's what we're all about. And so, the church made up of individuals, a spiritual body with all parts functioning for health and in turn representing or demonstrating the character of the head, Christ. I'll just close with 2 Peter 3.18. But grow in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. To him be glory both now and forever. Amen. Grow in grace and the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Again, for those that's convenient, let's kneel for prayer.